This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Zainab Salbi. Zainab is an Iraqi-American humanitarian, entrepreneur, author, and media commentator who has dedicated herself to women's rights and freedom. At the age of 23, she founded Women for Women International, a grassroots humanitarian and development organization dedicated to serving women survivors of war. With Sounds True, Zainab has written a new book called Freedom is an Inside Job, Owning Our Darkness and Our Light to Heal Ourselves and the World. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Zainab and I spoke about what it means to be a social change agent from, quote, the strengths of our spines instead of the breathlessness of our chests. We talked about how to skillfully hold on to our values while engaging people whose values seem to oppose ours. And Zainab spoke to this issue as a Muslim immigrant speaking to people who desperately fear Muslims entering the country. We talked about how our dreams never require us to self-sacrifice, the power of making amends, and why we need to leave behind what no longer works in our lives in order to find and wield our own sword of truth. Here's my conversation with the tremendously empowered and empowering Zainab Salbi. Welcome, everyone. It is my great delight to be here in the Sounds True studio with Zainab Salbi, talking about her new book from Sounds True, a beautiful new book, Freedom is an Inside Job. Zainab, your book is gorgeously written and super inspiring. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I want to go directly to an image that you introduce about halfway through the book, Mm. which is the idea that each one of us has the power and the birthright to pull out of a rock, symbolic, metaphorical Mm. rock, Mm. our sword of truth, Mm. like the King Arthur legend, that we can do it. We can pull out this sword of truth, and it's our sword of truth to carry in our lives, and maybe because it's here where sounds true. I wanted to start with this note and to ask you what's required in your view and in your experience to be able to pull forth our sword of truth. Oh, I'm so glad you actually went to that. It's my favorite image, you know, um, because we are in a time in which everyone is talking about 
righteous values, you know, righteous anger, righteous self. Like this is, I stand for this and this is what it is, right? And and this is all true. I stand for liberal values or conservative values or this values or this values and this is the truth, right? The full truth for me is a 360 degrees. So in order to really, the way I see the sort of truth is holy. Uh-huh. You know, just like only King Arthur could pull his yes. his sword, only full truth can allow us to full to pull the full tr- uh, the the only full truth can allow us to pull our sword of truth. Which means for me, my full truth is not only I am good in this way and this way and this way, but I'm scared, I'm insecure, I have betrayed myself. Perhaps I betrayed others, that I have hurt, that it is not, that is my full truth. You know, so I think of a bully a teenager, for example, you know, and he's like a bully and everyone is afraid of him and he's, you know, bullying this and taking advantage of this and all of that. But for that boy to pull the full sword of truth, he needs to say also, I'm scared, I'm, I'm, I may be unlovable. I may be ugly, Uh, my mother hurt me, whatever it is, right? And so when we do that, the reason I say we need to do that, because then we are not confronting the other, I'm good and you are bad, is actually we are talking about, here's the good part of me, and here is the bad part of me, and here's the ugly part of me. Here's the consistent, and here's the inconsistent. Here's the time I've been complicit, and I have been complacent in leading to this environment, Mm -hmm. right? Because it happens to all of us, all of us. And when we do that, when we act and speak out of that full truth of who we are, you can only own your truth, right? No matter what legitimate cause you have, you can only own your truth and your own self. Then that is, the speaking is coming from a different perspective. Now we are speaking out of full integrity, out of full awareness of my good, my bad, and the ugly. And that, in my opinion, allows the other to also or encourage them or inspire them, or maybe not, because we cannot be attached to the other, but maybe yes. To also inspire them to say, here's the good, here's the bad, here's the ugly in me. And then we calm down. And that's when we can talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Now, part of the subtitle of Freedom is an Inside Job is that we own our darkness and our light. And this is what you're talking about. And you're talking about how we need to do this investigation of how we may have betrayed ourselves as well as other people having betrayed us. Talk a little bit about your own discovery work in seeing where you found areas of self-betrayal. Well, in so many ways. So for the longest time, I'm in my late 40s, right? Up until, honestly, a few years ago, I've known myself as the activist, as the feminist, as the humanitarian, And I really didn't look at my shadow. And it's not that I didn't do bad things. I just dumped it under the rug and ignored it and moved forward, right? And I would give. I mean, like, 
I would give speeches, for example. Let's take a concept of forgiveness, yeah. let's say, right? Yeah. I loved Nelson Mandela. Sure. <laughs> I loved his appeal for people to uh, forgive each other. I love the truth and reconciliation process in South Africa. I thought it's such a superior notion that we should all aspire to. And I would give my speeches and talk about that. And all of the, I worked in Rwanda about their own truth and reconciliation after a genocide that like practically killed a, a million people who are in the street, like dead bodies in the streets, yeah. right? And then, so I'm like a believer in this beautiful value, forgiveness. Yeah. And I'm a progressive person, so yeah. it also comes with a righteousness in here, right? Yeah. Well, uh, a lover hurt me. You know, I, you know, I, I was in okay. a relationship. I loved him dearly, and he betrayed me by cheating on me with another woman but and not telling me that you yeah. know is the cheat is one thing but not telling me and lying and making that about it's a me real and betrayal. all of these yeah. right and making me feel I'm the bad person and there's something wrong with me and all of that until I had to stand up for myself and tell him like to stop yeah right and get out and so then I'm like it was the question well okay now I advocate for the political forgiveness between Hutu and Tutsis in Rwanda you know blacks and whites in, in South Africa I can't forgive this guy actually to be extremely honest I wanted to fantasize, I fantasized sure. about sending him a group of men who would beat the heck out of him and spray on his forehead something really bad that yeah. will stay for two, three weeks so he can remember who he is and what sure. he did. I mean, that's the fantasy. I have a friend, a Jewish friend, who said it's okay to fantasize in Judaism as long as you don't implement, you know? So I was like, okay, thank God, because I'm also like, please, God, forgive me for sure, even sure. thinking these bad thoughts, right? So, so I couldn't forgive him. So what's the point of this value? What's the point of my self-righteous value if I couldn't forgive this person in front of me? So I had to then understand the meaning of forgiveness within myself. And to understand it within myself, I needed to see the part of me that where have I betrayed myself? What, you know, like I, because I couldn't see it before. So it took me into a journey inward and I went through that journey because I work on my dreams and I work on with a psychoanalyst who was a Jungian analyst rather and with like different, I use different tools, yeah. different shamanic uh, sure. traditions to like try to help me go inward. But yeah. I'm, I'm a seeker, right? And what I realized, I was like, so what put me into this relationship with this man who would do this to me, right? And it's very insecure part of me very insecure girl that really wants to be loved that whatever you see of her exterior accomplishments is one thing inside she wants to be loved she wants to be held by a man she wants to be like you know loved and accepted so i kept on compromising myself and allowing you know my shutting down my instinct the voice that pop out says this is wrong i would just look at it shh stop you know because i wanted to be loved right by this person and so i betrayed myself i betrayed my voice my instinct by allowing things that are wrong and i allowed it to happen to me i allowed wrong behavior lies to happen i know they are lies and i would look up the other directions i know he's cheating and i look in the other directions that's my self-betrayal right but when i saw her 
when I saw who is the part of me that is betraying me, it's a very insecure child. Yes. I felt bad for her. Uh-huh. So first I felt angry at her and shame and a, sh a sense of shame. But then I felt really sad for her. And I really, when I understood her insecurity, I could forgive her. Because I was like, poor thing. So then I immediately was able to migrate that forgiveness to him. He, like, it must be insecure part of him that caused that betrayal. Full people do not betray. Only insecure people betray. If you're full in yourself yes. and have a good sense of self, you don't need to betray. It's only our insecurity that betrays us. Yeah. Right? So I can apply it to him. Now when I talk to forgiveness between the different political parties, whoever it is, it's coming out of an understanding of how hard it is, an authentic and a genuine understanding of the journey inside myself and an ability to apply it to the hardest part, which is the one in front of you, Yeah. to then apply it to the larger part. So this is what I learned. So I went from the political to the very personal, to my inside myself in order to move it out again. But the moving out is coming out of my truth acknowledgement that there is a very insecure part of me that just wants to be loved and accepted. Right. Now, let me ask you a question about that inner process. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that a lot of people can identify, yes, there's this part of me that's yeah. very young and terrified yeah. and maybe abandoned. Yeah. And I don't feel this fullness in all of me. But there's not a separation like, oh, that's just a part of me. They feel identified with this aspect of themselves that's not strong and whole and adult. Mm -hmm. How did you have that separation so that you could see, oh, this is a young part of me that I can love and take care of? Good question. Well, before I didn't see it, it was, I saw me as one person, right? Yeah. So I couldn't see that there are different parts of yeah. me, you know? So. So when I saw me, I spoke with actually extreme confidence, by the way, about yeah. these value systems. Sure, right? sure. And I don't know how did I went. Let me think about how. I mean, there are small things, honestly, that sure. led me to it, sure. you know. And it, there are sometimes very silly things, you know. So I was in Mexico giving a speech. A young woman gave me a Mexican doll to honor me, yeah. you know, to remember Mexico. Yeah. And I'm like thinking... Oh, I hate it when people give me gifts when I'm traveling because I usually take carry-on bag sure, and sure, I, sure. I have to carry it and sure, what sure, I'm sure. going to do with it. And, sure. and then I go to the hotel and just like, I look at this doll and I hug it. I mean, this is such a like silly example, right? Mm -hmm. And I hug it and I, I notice what got triggered in me is a very young person, a girl inside me that hugged her dolls when I was a, a child, right? So I could like... It's such a silly thing and it's such a personal journey to like see, <gasps> like I'm I'm ashamed even that there is this girl in me who wants to hug the doll at yeah. night. Yeah. But Tammy, I hugged that doll at night for a year. I mean, I can cry thinking about it. Here, here I am like the, you know, sure, the, sure. the activist feminist and I'm hugging a doll at bed at night because I was lonely and scared and afraid. And so that's when you could get access to that yes you know you could figure it out but i can't tell you an exercise to do it is sort of try to s but don't deny it don't dump it under the rug if it's coming 
talk to it. Yes. Where is it? Who are you? You yes. know, I have a friend who puts a pillow in front of her and start talking with her. Like, okay, what is, what do you want? <laughs> you know, so, but it's inside of us. And it's, the more I see it, the more it, it integrates in yeah. me. You know, so before when I didn't see it, I think of myself as riding a carriage and with one horse, right? And it's a white horse and it's a beautiful horse and I'm riding my carriage on that. There's another dark horse next uh -huh. to the white horse, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. I'm just not seeing the dark horse. I don't have my rein on the dark horse. So the dark horse keeps on like, yes. and take me to the side. Yeah. And I'm like shocked why yeah. this is happening. And I get ashamed and afraid. And I go back to, no, 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 I'm such a good person. I'm a good person, you know? And then my dark horse comes and take me constantly, you know, take me detour. So finally I realize I need to see that dark horse. I need to see it. I need, in this case, it's the insecure girl, for example. I need to see it. I need to acknowledge it. I need to actually respect it. And I need to put the rain on it. It's not going to disappear, but at least I have the rain over it. So now, if you tell me, Zainab, there is an insecure part in you that is doing this and this. Before, I would deny. I would get angry. I would like say, no. Now it's like, I know. I know. I've seen it. I have it. I know. I mm -hmm. Don't worry. <laughs> no, not don't worry. I know, Tammy. I've seen it too. I'm trying to control it. I'm trying to deal with it. Do, do you see what I mean? Yes. So that's an acknowledgement. It's a process. We need it because we need to take the rein over both horses in our lives, to, to quote Wilma Mankiller, actually, who talked about the horses. We need it because that's the because other people see it anyway. Yes. And they use it against us when we don't see it. Yeah. That's when we get scared because they're using something that is real against us. So when you take the rein, you say, uh-huh, yeah, I have it. I know. And let me engage with another dialogue at a different level where you're not hijacking me, where you are actually engaging with me, with both my horses intact. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense and yeah. it's very helpful. Now, do you think that if somebody finds themselves mm -hmm. feeling very self-righteous yeah. about something yeah. maybe they're feeling self-righteous about a person like this man in your life who did xyz so maybe they're feeling self-righteous about some event and person in their life my boss mm -hmm. my ex whatever or maybe they're feeling self-righteous about something that's happening in the world they're incredibly upset enraged and they are on their podium talking about it do you think that's an indication, self-righteousness, that there's something to be investigated? Or do you think there's a, a, a place for self-righteousness? It's a very good question also. <laughs> you know, these self-righteousness is like, it's, an, it's a belief in values yeah. that is, right? I mean, that's how I see self-righteous. It is a belief in a value system that is extremely important for me. Yeah. I don't question this value system. I'm saying yeah. it is intact, you yeah. know? My belief in forgiveness is a true and genuine belief in forgiveness. Yeah. I didn't know it was not genuine until I had to apply it. Yeah. In a very personal level, yeah. right? And I didn't know how to investigate the not genuinity of it until frankly I was witnessing a, a grass court in Rwanda, uh -huh. you know, a grass. So Rwanda has a genocide. A million people get killed. Half a million women get raped in a hundred days only. 
literally oh, oh you are talking about a country where bodies are in the streets right in a hundred days this happens and so so many criminals they don't have enough lawyers or courts or prisons to process all of them and they put them all in prison but to process them it would have taken i don't know a hundred years because they don't have the system to keep the process going mm -hmm. So they came up and they said, we are going to go back into a very old tradition of ours, which is the community, each community chooses its wise people, mm -hmm. women and men. And then they process the criminals who have killed, raped, burnt, pillaged, but not the ones who have ordered. The ones who have ordered these crimes, the government is going to process them or the international court is going to process them, right? Very interesting. So it's like, here you are. So And the process goes that you have to stand up if you're a criminal. And you stand up and you say, and this is something I'm witnessing, and you say, I have killed this person. This is you're standing up in front of your entire community who is now gathering in the village to hear mm. you. And in front of the victim's families, mm. you say, I killed this person, I burned this person's farm, I raped this woman, I did this and this and this. And... And you have to like acknowledge what, what you have done. And then the elders or the wise people, it's not elders actually, it's wise people, go have a recession for a session for whatever, half an hour, an hour. And then they come back and, and they give their verdict, right? And so I'm listening to many processing and then they come and there's one guy who stands up and says all of these things and they come back and they said, we don't feel your remorse. Huh. It's a feeling. Yeah. Remorse, you cannot, there's no evidence in remorse. There's no data. There's no fact sheets in remorse. He's saying what he has done. Yeah. But they do not feel his remorse. And they said, we, you have to go back to prison. Be and, and, and we need you to process what you have done a bit more. Once we feel the authenticity of your apology, because it seems like you're just saying it on an autopilot right now. Once you feel the authenticity of your apology, then we can process it. And the processing in there, what they've done is if you burnt a village, you have to farm. If you burnt a farm, you have to farm that farm. Uh -huh. If you killed a woman's son, you have to do to her, for her, what a son would do for his mother. Yeah. Provide for her, take care of her, all of that, etc., etc. So that the authenticity. So now going back to the self-righteousness. Yeah. The value is true but are we authentic in where we have implemented it and not implemented it are we authentic in addressing the grievance of the other like some there's always a an accurate point from the other side you know it's, it's always is they point as something accurate right are we addressing that are we saying look this is a value this is an important value and this is where the troubling in this value where I'm not consistent in this value. This is where I'm talking about it. This is where I'm struggling about it. I still believe in the value. <laughs> it's still important. Do, do you see what I yes, mean? Yes, I do. It's a different process than what I used to do, which is just preach the value, not talk about the journey of how one lives that value. Yeah, so let's take an example, yeah. a concrete example, where now you would address the grievance from the other side in having a conversation about some area of difference. We yes. disagree on this issue. I'm not just going to come at you 
with my self-righteous thing, I'm going to also address your grievance. So let me pick on a very controversial issue sure. right now, immigration, right? I, we're all horrified at what's happening, you yeah. know, the, the the mass deportation, separation of parents and children, all of that. And and we are divided yes. on this issue, right, between those who are like we have yep. to protect and those who don't. Yeah. And I am an immigrant uh-huh. myself. Yeah. I came to this country uh, literally this month, 28 years ago, yeah. right? And I, I went through different legal status in it. I came as a tourist. I was going to get married. I got divorced very fast because it was an abusive marriage. So there was a, I was in a limbo for a couple of months legally, like who I am, all of that. Yeah. I went to the IRS, uh, not the IRS, sorry. I went to, at that time, the immigration service yeah. called INS. And I told them, this is my situation. You tell me what to yeah. do, right? And then it's, it, but so I went through different things, you know, so I went to work permit and then all, and then I fell in love and married and got my citizenship. But as an immigrant, by the way, all immigrants know the different processes and the different tricks and all of that. And I'm genuinely sympathetic with, on the immigrant side. Sure. This is the, and I really appreciate how uh, this country, in terms of the freedom and the appreciation it gives for the immigrants, right? And yet when I hear the other side, as horrified as I am by what President Trump is saying, some of the things he says, they're not, I can't throw, I'm telling you my truth. I can't throw all the things he's saying as just bad. There are things he's saying that I know as an immigrant, there are points in it. You know, for example, how do you process illegal immigrants who are really coming illegally? And what what is the role of due process when the entry is illegally, right? Mm-hmm. Is an illegal entry. Mm-hmm. And they're coming with conscience because I come from a community of immigrants. You talk, mm-hmm. When you talk to immigrants, they also talk about why do they want to come to America? Why do they want to go to Germany? No, I don't want to go to Poland. Because they also know the services and the systems you get in each country, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'm, I'm being very honest yeah. here, right? And I know some people want to go to Sweden rather than America because Sweden, there's a great welfare system where you don't have to work and they give you money and apartment and TV where you don't have enough. And people, some people do take advantage. And there are people who are hardworking, you know, and will really genuinely want to build a life for themselves, you know, and really need an opportunity. I'm one of them, right? The, spec- the truth about immigrants is across the spectrum, mm-hmm. right? What he's saying now, horrible, that separation, that deportation is horrible, horrible, horrible. By the way, some of that, what he's implementing was started by Obama, you know. But what he's saying, some of what he's saying is, okay, as a country, how do you manage that process in a real way that's saying, okay, how do we manage immigration into the country? Those who are entering illegally from those who are entering illegally. How do we manage a process where we are not taking advantage of? Do you see what I mean? Yes, I do. And so it's controversial to say that because I hear him, I hear what he's saying, and I'm coming as, uh, really, I'm being extremely honest in here as an immigrant myself who appreciate the immigration law in this country, saying some of what he's saying is actually correct. We do need to address these issues. Otherwise, it can't continue to be free flow, right? So am I answering your question? So I'm answering your question by saying... I believe in this value. This con- I believe in the immigration value of this country. I really appreciate that value. 
and the acceptance and the freedom and welcome it gives to diversity of immigrants from all over the world. I'm also telling you there are immigrants who are really hardworking and truly want to make a living for themselves and they cannot go back home for the right for a variety of reasons. And it's also true they are immigrants who take advantage of the system and they cheat and they lie. And all of it is true. Yeah. So can we engage, Mr. President, on that level of truth? Yeah. You know, I'm going to hold up your book again. And the reason I'm going to hold up this book again is that some of the stories in Freedom is an Inside Job that moved me the most were how you did such a deep self-examination of yourself in situations where you disagreed with other people's viewpoints, but you then did an analysis, a deconstruction of how you were in those conversations and how you could be in conversations moving forward such that there was a quality of kinship or warmth, these are my words, that could be maintained. I mean, you told a very powerful story of some dear friends of yours mm -hmm. that you became alienated from because you weren't able to take their position in the conversation. And then moving forward after you did that reflection, how you were able to take the position of the other in conversations. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking because in my self-righteous values, yeah, and I these values. When I hear others who are confronting, who are against these values, my up until recently, my quick reaction is shock and attack. Yeah, really. Yeah, you know, how dare you believe in these values and what what a horrible person you are. Yeah. Right? I mean, and this is... Oh, not, I, not a great way to make friends. I mean, and no, it's, <laughs> to have friends who are like-minded people is one thing. This is a friend who I just adore, yeah. who married a woman that I was shocked by her values, right? right? Shocked, you know? And, you know, from her belief that all homosexual people are going to go to sin, I mean, are going to go to hell because yep. it's a sinful act, to her belief that we are the superior being in this world. And I really, really, really genuinely believe we are equal beings with animals yeah you know and i believe and respect animals intelligence deeply yeah you know and and earth intelligence deeply so this superiority yeah. thing i don't believe right. i think is destructive to her not allowing any talk about any religion mm -hmm. because you know jesus or muhammad or whatever moses is like they're all holy and we do not question them right mm -hmm. so this is shocking and i behaved in a way that of disgust that's my true feeling disgust and i showed it in a dinner conversation i showed my disgust and being appalled by her values and just attacked her and and as a result and the disgust was genuine i have to tell you you know it's like a, it's appalled by these how could you how could you have these values and my friend that I love him and adore him how could he marry and love someone who has such values yeah. right and the relationship was cut like an axe and that is a, I can tell you how much I love I love him so dearly this friend right and it scared the heck out of me honestly it scared the heck out of me and I couldn't see 
my image until recently I was in another discussion with another person and I saw his disgust at my values and I'm like oh! and and I saw how it scared me yeah you know to see someone who was showing disgust and fear and judgment at my values and it was very scary feeling like it's and I was like oh my god if this is how I came across to this other no wonder they shut down. No wonder they built a brick wall to isolate me from any conversations with them, unless if it's about babies, mm -hmm. you know? No wonder, because yeah. that's scary, right? So I saw it from, I, from both sides, basically. And then, so we lose love. Yeah. You know, the loss at the end of the day truly is mine. Yeah. You know, maybe theirs as well. Both of us lost love. And what do we want at the end of the day? If, like, strip it of all the statue and the money and the success. What do we really, 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 really want? Ultimately, all of us is we want love. We yeah. want to be loved and accepted by others, right? And, and by ourselves. That's, if you strip it all, that's what yep. it is about, right? So I lost love on so many directions because I'm appalled. And I'm so self-righteous about my values. Yeah. And so, okay, so it's a loss for me. And that hit me. It shocked me. And then I had to process. Where am I? Like, where? how could I change that situation? How could I change that situation? And I, like, this is when I went into my own shadow and realized the arrogance in my self-righteousness and how it felt good to be arrogant and how it's just like, oh, my God, I'm arrogant, you know, as I advocate for these values, there's an arrogance in it that is not compassionate, actually, you know, with the others who, do, who don't agree with it. I believe this is it, and it feels great when I tapped into my darkness mm -hmm. and not, and allowed, when I say tapped into my darkness, I mean allowing the space, and there's an exercise in the book, you allow a space where you feel it. It doesn't mean you throw it outside to anybody. It means you create a safe environment for yourself, whether alone or in community, where you can actually bring that darkness out, see it, acknowledge it, see how it feels even. You know, let yourself feel it. Then ask the question, how can I change it? Do you see what I mean? So when I, I created an exercise for myself, you know, I put music, I put scandals, I put some yeah. sage, and I like go into what I call music journey. You go and you go into, you allow yourself the feeling of anything you want, right? And when I felt it, it felt great to allow it. Like, wow. And I was like, so how can I ever change it? Like, if that's how it feels to be arrogant, why would someone on the other side let's say president trump because he's like he's our the we're all projecting everything on him yeah. right you know he's the easiest yeah. target you know how what would what's the incentive to change that arrogant you know why would you do that right and and then i just like well actually you have to change it because you have to bring there's no incentive the only way to fight it is to willingly bring my own darkness into space in here in this room sitting next to me and telling you tell me i have arrogance in me but let me ask you a question yeah. i'm imagining someone who's listening who yeah. says look it's not arrogant to have a strong righteous feeling that 
homosexuality is not a sin Good and that question. holding ourselves above animals right. is a form of uh, human-centered elitism Great. that allows us to, you know, slaughter. Yeah. That's not arrogance. That's being right, Zainab. You were just right. It is being right. But it is arrogance towards the other person because I am not acknowledging their lever points, what is important for them. So what it turned me is like, what if I acknowledge that I have this in me? Okay. I can scare people, yeah. you know, if what because I'm so uh, a believer in my values. So yeah. I can scare them and that's scaring, that's shut them down. Yeah. So let me try it another way to engage. Now, I believe in these. I'm not backing off from these I understand. values. I will yeah. fight for the rest of my life for these values, right? So how do I engage differently? So I was put in another situation with another environment, this time and sure. another person. Sure. There'll be endless opportunities. <laughs> Especially these days, yes. right? So in this case was a very conservative woman who fear Muslims. Very easy stereotype. Muslims are going to come and change our culture. They're going to impose Sharia on us. They're going to oppress our... They don't only oppress their women, they're going to oppress all women, basically. Muslims are the end of our Western civilization if we bring them and allow them in this country, right? Now, I'm a Muslim. And if you told me this, if I hear anybody says this, I go into my attack. Yeah, yeah. How ignorant you are. You are like this. Bigot, da, da, da. You yeah. know, it's like a sure. there are great terminologies that we can just sure. shoot them right at, sure. right? And in this case, because I just lost a dear friend, I decided let me acknowledge that pain, let me acknowledge the fear. So you're afraid of Muslims? Yes, I'm afraid. You're afraid because they may destroy a value system that you're allowed, that you believe in. You know, freedom, constitution, Sharia. I don't understand Sharia, oppression of women, all of these things. You're afraid that this is what they're going to do. So I acknowledge the fear. And when I acknowledge the fear in the case, I mean, this is a woman across the dinner table, almost, you know, same setting, yeah. you know, because it's that our dinner tables that this is happening. Yes. And our meeting tables that this yeah. is happening, right? I actually did not go into my defensive calling her racist, bigot, da, 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 yeah. da. I went into, because I decided when we label people, that's the first shutdown. Yeah. Like it's like a Very metal wall. Very good point. Right? So I decided not to use any labels anymore. Not even intersectionality. Not, nothing. Nothing. Don't throw the labels outside. You know? In my yeah. way. Second, I decided to acknowledge first the other person's fear. You are afraid of this. You're afraid of they're going to do this and this. Yes, I'm afraid. And so that's first time it's like the walls. So first time the walls get slowered down. You know? Then I start saying, you know, I'm a Muslim, you know, and I have some of these same fears, actually, not of Sharia and all of that. I have, I'm also afraid of the fundamentalists, you know, it's my, yeah. of my own religion. They, if they see me like that, they also will hate me and they also want to kill me. I actually, I'm the front <laughs> line in, in that attack, right? So let me acknowledge, I'm also afraid of the same group of people fundamentalist extremists. ISIS, when they came to Iraq, I cried and I can still cry for entire three years. Every single day as I read news of what they have done. This is my country, my religion, my people have done that. They scare the heck out of me, right? So I'm too, I'm scared. Then, but I'm a Muslim as well. And can I tell you, we really, the immigrants in this country, 
you know, could there be some terrorists here? Yes, there could be. Is the vast majority of people who really just want to live a decent life very, very, very accurate, right? Are we all escaping from horrors that we are seeking freedom here? So true. Do you really want to impose Sharia? Let me tell you, we actually don't even know what Sharia is. Like, we didn't grow up with the meaning of Sharia. This is, you know, Sharia is not a law. It's not a, it's not a book. It's a constant interpretation. So we're coming here to escape from anybody who wants to do it, let alone want to impose it here. Yeah. Believe me. Are the, women's for, are the women forced to wear hijab? I'm telling her, honestly, because I said going and asking, and they're like, most of the women here in this country are wearing hijab are wearing it out of a point to say I'm American and I'm free and I am a, a woman's rights activist. Like this is part of my freedom as American. They're yeah. making a political point, so let them. Rarely are they forced. Some are, but a lot are not. So you start engaging in a dialogue out of first acknowledging that I too am afraid of some Muslim fundamentalists, very, and the, that that fear does not represent the majority of the people and that you are actually not seeing me you know when you think that i'm scary just for being a muslim and so anyway i engage with this woman yeah who's a very uh, conservative you know in a way that she actually at the end of the conversation said thank you so much i can hear you I can listen to you. You acknowledge you're my fear and I understand where I'm exaggerating in it. And I really will hear you more in the future. And that for me was like, you know, I re I told you I recently had a, a, a fight again with my friend who was like, uh, we're talking about Israel-Palestine in this case. Yeah. And what I'm learning in all of these differences, yes. when we humiliate the other, and we humiliate them when we tell them you are this and this and this. You are racist, bigot, da, 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 uh, prejudice. You are a yeah. you know, We humiliate them. And then that reaction comes out as defensive. And that, you know, like we cannot talk to each other. When, we when the first point is to acknowledge the other, I see you. You know, different indigenous traditions, they say, but I see you. The I see you is not I see you. I love you. As I see who you are, I see your fears. Let's acknowledge that. And as I'm taking a leap of faith in her and she's taking a leap of faith in me to, for both of us, lower our walls of fear so we can see each other. And that's when the dialogue happens. So it's an exercise. It's just a change of strategy and an awareness that I could be very scary in my arrogance as I defend my values. And an awareness that these values are very important, but I'm going to go about them in a different route to communicate them differently. So I create a lowering of the walls rather than a building of walls. Mm -hmm. Very powerful, very helpful. I think such an important teaching for our time, for all of us who find ourselves in so many conversations where we have differing views. And before we know it, as you said, we've got our, we've got our guns out. We all sides are having their guns out. Yeah. I have my guns, you know, as well, you know. So we have to be aware. We It's, it's like, like, are we part of this crisis? So the sort of truth yeah. in this case, when I attacked my friend and his wife, is I am part of the crisis of division. That is my sort of truth. Yeah. That I'm not only believer in these values, which I really honor and I truly believe 
they're so important and, and not only for me i believe for humanity but by attacking them and demonizing them and humiliating them i am part of the problem You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive three free gifts just for visiting us. Go to soundstrue.com backslash free. That's soundstrue.com backslash free. And now back to Insights at the Edge. I'm going to read a quote from Freedom is an Inside Job because it gets to my favorite sentence in the whole book. So here's the quote. Once our own dark and light are more integrated, our voices of protest change from harsh barks that speak to some but alienate others to a resonant call that many, many people can hear. We work from the strength of our spines rather than the breathlessness of our chests. That was my favorite I'm so sentence. happy. I love that sentence. I would say that's the summary of what I'm calling for, is how do we become activists in this new era by not just shouting about these values, but being aware and being anchored in ourselves and in our consistencies and struggle to implement these values because it's very hard to be 100% in your value systems. It's very, very, very hard, you know? And it's not, it may not be very hard. Sometimes it's not hard for you. It's not, it's hard for you to be in consistency in the environment that you are living in. So that work and awareness of who you are in the goodness and the struggle and in the badness you still advocate for the exact same values. I still advocate for forgiveness. Yeah. I really believe in it. Yeah. But I advocate from also a point of recognizing how hard it was mm-hmm. when I needed to forgive mm-hmm. that boyfriend mm-hmm. and my fantasy, r- r- horrible fantasies of revenge. Yeah. You know, and I and and then saying I still made the choice to go in and see the insecurity and it's a choice and so i i'm advocating right now or my call for advocacy is advocate out of an awareness that this is hard to do out of an awareness that these values are hard to do but we still can do it and we still can choose to do it but when you choose it and doing it it you your resonance is different. It's more practical. It is more um, compassionate towards the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I tell the story of a, a brothel owner in India, uh-huh. which honestly was a big awakening for me. Yeah. I'm mean, like, this brothel owner, I see him darkness. He yeah. is like <laughs> evil, in my opinion, right? He And he is so transparent about how he... Take the prostitute, the women. Yeah. He buys them. He makes them sleep to with up to fifteen men a day. That's for me physical torture. 
even if you love the person, you can't sleep with them for 15 hours <laughs> a day, really. I mean, it's like a torture to sleep with yes. up to that, mo you know, times. And every day, and he charges them for their bed and for their food, and he, they are actually in debt for him, basically, for five to ten years to pay off the debt that he bought them and all the food yeah. and all of these things, right? So horrible, it's horrible. Yeah. It's, he's a trafficker, slavery. You know, yeah. it's like slavery, horrible. And at point, and I'm like shocked and interviewing him, and I'm just shocked, and he sees my face yeah. of disgust. Yeah. You know, and at one point he looks at me and he says, you judge us. You, and now and me, not only Zaina, but me representing an entire population outside of the red light districts, you know, especially feminist, women's rights activists, all of these things. He says, you judge us. You judge us and you put us and the women in prison you call them immoral and when and when you sit in your fancy dinner tables and a, cra a joke cracks on a prostitute you laugh you all laugh at it and you don't recognize that it is you who is part of the problem of another problem of part of our existence uh -huh. it is your husbands your fathers your sons your brothers who are the clientele which we are supplying to and it is you the women and in this case he's talking about an indian context where you pay and treat your maids so badly and you kick them out without payment and you create your their own vulnerability and who you think takes advantage of that vulnerability i am I am the one who take these women who are kicked out and abused and I give, I take them. Yes, I buy them, but I provide them a shelter and I provide them a job, right? Now, he's justifying his dark action yeah. by, my, uh, by using something I was not aware of, my culpability in it. Yeah. And, and me not being aware of took me uh, like, well, I was shocked. Like, what? You know, and made me question, am I, am I part of it? Yeah. Are my brothers and father and cousins and friends? And you know, did, were they, did they ever use prostitutes? Like I went into like, so my own unawareness of my own uh, culpability in it gave him the advantage of putting me in a silent yeah. uh, moment, right? So then I went and I asked all the men, I know in my life, in my surroundings, right? And I would say... You, you asked them, have you ever been to a prostitute? Yes. Yeah. Have you ever used a prostitute? Now I grew up overseas and I lived overseas yeah. and I live in America as well. And like, the, so the, my, my gathering is uh, international. Okay. Three quarters wow. used it. Some used prostitute for the first time and they were horrified and did not like it and they said never again. Some continued to use it. Some took their sons as the first sexual experiences to use a prostitute. Um, some uh, different, right? And some never. In truth, some never. But a lot did. And so, and was I in dinner tables with these friends and a joke got cracked with a prostitute story in it and I laughed? Yes, I did. Yes, I did, without an awareness. Honestly, I have to tell you, you know. And was I aware of the connection between me being a, a feminist and women's rights? And I'm laughing at that joke in a social setting that we all want to be polite and accept it. Yeah. And, and connecting that actually we are all... Yeah. There are some men in here that are using prostitutes, but they are like self-righteous about, oh, we're not. Yeah. But they really are, you yeah. know, in their secrets. 
I didn't connect it. Yeah. Right? But my friends wear suits and are drinking a nice glass of wine and all yeah. of these things. So I don't connect because they are not in sure. a red light. It's like, you know, educated, you know, people, right? That's the inconsistency. That's our own hypocrisy that we are not aware and we're not owning that. And then more than that, this guy inspired me to say, where have I, have I ever actually abused a person in my life, a more vulnerable person in my life? And I have. And I write about it in in my book, a, a child made that I grew up with in my home and how I hurt her, you know, when I was a child. Now, a lot of people tell me, take it easy on yourself. You were a child. I was like, I don't care. I did something wrong. I treated a maid badly. Right. And I have to own this. I don't want to make excuse to myself. I was a child. I was unaware. I still have to own it, you know. And I went back to her. And I, you know, by miracle, I, you know, it's a, I found her. I, I don't want to spoil the story in here, but I apologize to her. And in my acknowledgement, she tells me how resentful and angry she was at me for that abuse. Right. So is to when you acknowledge your own uh, role in the game we all play in this world and co-creating this world. Yeah. And acknowledge that you actually you too have done some things, you know, and that's some like. She wasn't knocking on my door saying, you hurt me when I was a child. I was knocking on my door. Yeah, your conscience. My conscience, because all of, I, I honestly believe when we do something we're ashamed of, it doesn't leave us. I don't, I mean, I, I really believe it keeps like a, a fly, you know, buzzing in our head. And no one knows about it except us and maybe that person when way, way back. It doesn't leave us. It stays. Mm -hmm. It stays. So what I'm saying is go to it. Go to it. You don't need to acknowledge it as I'm doing publicly. Sure. I'm not asking that of any person. That's too much to ask sometimes. But you go for it for your sake. Go. Acknowledge. Address it. Be aware of it. If needs an apology, go and do it because it's humbling. Not only to be the one forgiving, but to be, be the one who is asking for forgiveness. And there's something in the humility of that. There's a lot of lessons in that. Mm -hmm. So, And then you heard, hear the other person's perspective. And go into that and be aware of all of that. Next time I see that brothel owner, I tell him, yes, I know. Yes, sir, I know I am part of this issue. And you still, what you are doing is a crime. You it does not legitimize or give excuses for you ab your abuse of these women and enslavement of these women, and so like yes, but I am not telling you as of not out of lack of awareness of my role in this. I am telling you with my awareness of my role in it, and you may not use it against me or to justify you. Mm -hmm. So the relationship chain, like my own ownership of my dark places. Yeah does not reduce my belief in my values. It actually, in my opinion, enhances my beliefs and makes it much more real and accessible rather than labeling it. And we get attached to the labels, but these sometimes these labels don't mean anything if you're mm -hmm. not familiar with it, right? What's a feminist? What's a racist? What is this? Ah. You know, like be aware of it and speak and know you may not. So that's what I mean by 
advocating from the core of your spine. Yes, sir, I know some of my relatives have used prostitutes and some of my friends have used prostitutes. And I myself have abused a woman who was working as a maid. And I have done my work and I've acknowledged and I went to her and I apologized and I did the process and I, and I did my amends and I forgave myself. And I still think what you're doing is a crime. Mm -hmm. What I'm flashing on is the image we started with, uh, having the sword of truth. Yes. And the connection between that and this strength in yes. our spines, the way you're describing. Yes. So I'm saying advocate for these values you're advocating for because they are right values. But advocate it with the understanding of your role in its shadows. Mm -hmm. And of your struggle and of, your, of the, the things that you don't want to talk about. Yeah. talk about these things because it, then it legitimizes your position even more. If we take about women's movement and the Me Too yeah. thing, for example, women have been abused, right? That's a fact. Like, duh, for all of us yeah. women, you know? Yeah. And not for decades, for centuries. Yeah. Right? Yes. Abused, marginalized, discriminated against, undervalued, horrible. Like, it's just a horrible story. Period. We have every single right to be angry at that. It's centuries of oppression, period. And we have learned the act of coexisting with that. And sometimes we allow the abuse to happen because, you know, I have no choice. Sometimes I'm going to allow it so I can get out of it, you know, uh, so I can get to a position where I don't have to tolerate it. Sometimes I flirt with it, not the abuse. I flirt, yes, I flirt with the abusive situation so I can try to turn it around for my own interests, you know. Let's acknowledge that. You know, I'm saying let's, we need to acknowledge that not because it does not, it, it chips away from our anger at the injustice we face. It does not. But it does take away from the men who are saying this is a witch hunt. This is McCarthyism. This is you are being unreasonable. I'm afraid of women now. Oh, I, you know, I'm not going to hire women now. It Because when you own the fact, yes, I did sometimes tolerate it. Sometimes I saw it and looked at the other direction. Sometimes I fooled around with it, you know, with my own sexuality. So I can get, so I can actually accomplish what I, let me tell you the circumstances that I, that led me, that led all of us to this position where we had to coexist with it. So we use whatever tools we have, right? Acknowledge that. It will not chip away from your grievance and your our demands for equality, but it will make it anchored and 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 in the foundation of our own shadow as well. And it does it then that takes away any man who delegitimize our grievance because he said, but women do flirt with me. How do I know? Yes, sir, I did flirt with you. And let me tell you that circumstance and still does not justify you doing X, Y, and Z, you know, to hurt me. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It's good like, it's very helpful. Elevate it's very clear. the discussion. Yeah. Elevate from just the righteous anger, elevate it into acknowledge how you played with it so you can actually win. Yeah. Okay, Zainab, there's two more things I want to talk to you about. Mm -hmm. One is that you were the founder and then the director of Women for Women International mm -hmm. for many years, mm -hmm. over two decades. Mm -hmm. And you left that position. Oh, and yeah. one of the things you write about in Freedom is an Inside Job is that 
we can realize our dreams without having to sacrifice ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that you came to this realization that it was time for you to leave that role, that there was too much sacrifice involved. And I'd love for you to talk to our audience about knowing when it's time to leave and how the sword of truth can ask us to leave things, even things we believe deeply in and have given our lives to. It's, uh, I mean, and this is like Woman for Woman was my baby. Yes. You know, I created when I was 23 years old and I had no money, no work experience. And I grew it from helping 33 women to half, nearly half a million women. Yes. Where, like, so it's my baby. Like I don't have an actual child. That's my child, you know? So I put my, uh, the way I say it, if my soul was a wet towel, I squeezed it until like not one drop was left. I really mm -hmm. gave it 99.9% of myself. And as the world was celebrating me as the successful uh, women's rights activist, and it actually built one of the largest women's organization in America in terms of size, women's groups tend to be small because the word women in a title of an organization by default means less money is going to go to that organization. May that not, not be true in the years ahead. I hope so. And yeah. anything, anything, by the way, I mean, this is for the audience for the future, anything that has the word women, a movie women, or whatever women, you know, except for Wonder Woman now is breaking. I hope we're in a breaking moment. The word women in anything actually means less resources. You know, it's horrible, right? So Women for Women actually became one of the largest women's organization in terms of size of money yeah. as a women organization, yeah. right? Very proud, very, very proud of it. And yet, uh, I would go to bed crying every day. <laughs> and the, the taste that my mojo in life left me, huh. you know? It's uh, just like the world became flat for me. I would go from one place to another, one country to another. And eventually I realized I am, at this point, I am no longer in consistencies with the values that I am advocating for, for other women. So I'm advocating for women's freedom. I was no longer free, even though I am part of the advocacy for women's freedom. Yeah. I was in chains in the structure that I have created to advocate for women's freedom. If I wanted to advocate for women to be happy, I was not happy. I was like the, the, the taste of life left because I was just working 99.9% of my life. Yeah. It was, if I was advocating as a, for women power, honestly, I was not, I was no longer in power. My schedule was managed by 20 people who I was afraid to have any personal life because they would, like any relationship would like, oh, how can we raise money from that person or how we can, you know, how yeah. can this person help? So I couldn't have like a freedom of being in friendships yeah. without asking anything. So thus you don't have friendships because you don't want to ruin, you have a lot of relationships, but you don't have authentic friendships because you can't protect the friendship itself because you really want something from that person. Yes. Do, do you see what I mean? I do. And so, so, okay, so what's the point of me advocating for something when I am no longer that something? Yeah. And that's when I realized, so that's first, it, but I was justifying that sacrifice. 
for the sure. longest time because I there are hundreds of thousands of women who are who we are helping and I can't abandon them I can't abandon them like you know it kept on kept me going like I, I, I can't let them go if I so it's okay for me to sacrifice myself because there are women who are in war zones and who are victims and gone through hell who am I to even think about these frivolous things but it reached to the point and this was my turning point in which I am sitting in front of the women that I love you know in this case it was an Afghan woman you know and my love for them is what led me to start an organization. It's our love for the causes that we love. Yeah. It could be your, it could be an animal rights sure. person. It's your love for animals yeah. that lead you to do, right? And then eventually you get consumed by the structures that you have to do. This, 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 uh, this is what success means. You wear a suit. You stand in front yeah. of the table. You did it. Like there's, the society tells you this is what success means. Yeah. This is what accomplishments mean. This is what uh, revenue generating means. All of these things. This is what it means. And you play into it because you love the animal. You love the dog. I love the women. I love, yeah. you know, if someone loves the elephant. It doesn't matter, right? So you accommodate all these structures and have them impose on you as I had. Wear the suit, sit at the top of the table, do this, do that, all of that. And eventually, even that, the love doesn't disappear. But I get like when life, when the taste of life disappears, you're betraying yourself and thus you're betraying them. And so it was a moment in which I'm sitting and witnessing a woman in Afghanistan telling me her story, both in its horrible way, in its courageous way, in its beautiful way. And I'm listening to her story and I'm saying, I am no longer engaged. I am, I'm silent in my heart. I'm bored. And it was a wake-up call. It's like, I no longer, I have not only betrayed myself in the name of success and in the name of my cause, I am now betraying her. Do you see what I, I do? Mean? And and it could for me that for someone else could be betraying your children. Yeah, you know I, I hear of mothers who give everything to their sure. children, and on one day they are resentful of the child because they have sacrificed themselves completely. You know, because there is no more I in me for the child. For me, is for my cause. For someone else, is for their financial spreadsheet you know i mean all of us you know the like it's hard for me to talk about it for activists because i have a good cause so a yeah. lot of people say sure you know and you if i was a businesswoman and you made it may be easier that you would say oh of course your desire to make money would be judgment you have the, some judgment but i'm telling you doesn't matter don't judge yeah. the attachments the attachments here to like accomplish yeah. this and succeed in doing that. That's my attachment. It's a sense of myself vis-a-vis -vis my outward accomplishments, but I end up sacrificing myself in it. And so I, so it was a wake up, um, a wake up call for me, you know, uh, how do I, and, and that made me realize like that and confronting that woman and confronting my feeling in that woman made me realize I need to leave. Like now I'm betraying myself, but I'm betraying my cause if I continue to do that. And when I left and started working on myself to try to bring back the joy of life in me, you know, and try to have a sense of I in me and try to, you know, breathe and do the things that I like and all of these things, I realize the cause does not 
require us to sacrifice ourselves. Yeah. The child does not require the mother to sacrifice herself. My political cause or humanitarian yeah. cause does not require me to sacrifice myself. Actually, I need to be it. Yes. If I'm advocating for happiness, I need to first start being yes. happy. If I'm advocating for freedom, I need to experience that freedom. And if I'm advocating for success, I need to feel that success genuinely mine, not because the world defines it like that. Do you see what I mean? I do. And so, and I believe actually in this moment in history, a lot of us, you know, have played the game, you know, buy the house, buy the car, marry the guy or the woman, or, you know, get the child, get the dog, get the, da, 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 all of that. And we do it, check, 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 check. And we're not happy. Right? And that check, check, because we, the society framed it for us and we 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 implemented it's like how to be happy yeah. in seven steps do these things we did it and then i find more and more people in my life who've accomplished all the steps and there's inside an emptiness and so now i'm in the what i'm advocating is reverse the process rather than living the frameworks you define it for yourself you know, and, and have yourself be the anchor of it, you know, and not lose yourself in that dynamic, in, in the dynamic of the social structure. You define, so your so other friends look at you and they may not think of you as successful as they are. It's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, don't be attached to that acceptance that is coming from outside. Be more true to yourself. Because for me, that is the ultimate success. That, you know, so I, I came to, conclude after leaving women for women and helping me come back to myself i came to conclude that the taste of freedom is so delicious that it is worth the hard journey one have to walk to get to it the taste of freedom is so so delicious like chocolate uh -huh. that it is worth the hard journey inward that you do have to go through and it is indeed hard but it makes it worth it tell me what the taste of freedom tastes like when you were describing that the losing of your taste for life oh. i think people know that oh. I, I think most people probably know that some moment in their life where they're flat out and everything's like some mm. kind of ash or something but i don't know if everybody knows what the taste of freedom is like you know the way i the simplest way I can express it is that if I die today, you know, if I get hit by a truck today, and honestly, I'm in an age where people are starting to die around me and sometimes mm -hmm. by accident and sometimes old age, but I also work in war and a lot of death around me, you know. So often, you know, between now and then I get scared, like, <gasps> you know, if I die, if I'm going to die today, you know. The way I measure it, if I die today, what what are the last thoughts? Am I saying, God, it doesn't matter if you believe sure. or not, I actually have lived life. Or Zainab, I have given it all. Yeah. Or saying, oh, no, 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 I'm not done. Please, please, please give me a year so I can yeah. learn how to ski and I haven't done the ceremony and I haven't kissed my son or told him I love you and I haven't accomplished this charity that I want to do. Like, do you go there? You know, do you go there? 
because you there's all this list of things that you actually want to live and accomplish but you're waiting until retirement or until this and until this you know uh, you're not happy in your marriage but you don't want to address it because you're waiting for i don't know what you know or do you do you say i'm okay i gave it all i lived it all yeah and so that's the measure it for me and i think a lot of people you know, it's as simple as being in relationships that they're not happy with or a job that they're not being happy with or they have all this list of things that they want to do but they can't do because they have to pay this for this and this and whatever it is, right? So where do you go in that pivotal moment of life and death? And and I want to be able to. And so it's a constant work, by the way. Yeah. Because you, know, you slip and then you come back and yeah. you slip and you come yeah. back, you know? But be aware of it, you know, so yeah. it's not, there's no such a thing as I'm always free and I'm always happy, you know. But, you know, there is a moment that you taste it and it's, and in these moments, it's like, I can die today. Yeah. I have lived, I have lived, but I can tell you this, despite my slips and going back, I try really hard to live by my values and by my truth every single day day and there are times in which I slip and I process the slipping and these moments gives me a lot of learnings and teachings but I really try I'm consciously trying it's not easy but I'm consciously trying and if I die today Tammy I will tell you I will die a happy woman I'm happy to hear that <laughs> yes. now Zainab I do want to ask you one final question and I want to avail myself to this opportunity that I have to be with you here and to learn from you, which is recently we've been here at Sounds True creating an online event series called Waking Up in the World. And we've been talking to various activists and spiritual teachers, people of one foot in each world, about what it means to wake up in our world today. And part of that has been an education, a deep education, mm -hmm. about what it means to wake up if you're a person of privilege, mm -hmm. if you're a person who was born into a Caucasian white family in the United States with money and resources. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean to be aware of that in your life? How do you use your privilege for good? How do you not get drawn into just guilt and, and shame or ignorance about that. And I think you may have something to share mm. with our audience about this whole topic, having done so much fundraising mm -hmm. and given money from people who have it to mm -hmm. people who need it. Mm -hmm. And what what's your view about people who are waking up to their privilege and how they can have a truthful and useful relationship to that. I love this question. I love it because honestly, I'm being very honest here. Nothing irritates me more than people are like uh, whipping themselves because of their privilege. I'm like, oh, I'm so happy that you are blessed. <laughs> you know, I mean, like people look at my story and they're like, you know, I grew up in war and I knew a dictator and I've been raped and I've seen poverty and I worked in wars and they're like, oh my God, you have this amazing story. And I like, I grew up in this privilege and all. I was like, my reaction first, I'm so happy for you <laughs> that you don't have to go through this. <laughs> you know, you don't have to lose your home or blah, 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 all of that. You know, I don't mean blah, it's horrible, sure. right? But first of all, don't whip yourself because you have privilege. Be thankful that you have it. Like it's, 
I'm telling you as the other. Yeah. <laughs> Right. I mean, I consider myself, by the way, one of the lucky ones. You know, I mean, yeah, my father was calling me, and my my the family home that I grew up in became an execution center, a brothel, a military base. Right now, I don't recognize it. Everything we lost, everything, everything in war. My country is destroyed. Oh, my mother is dead. Oh, and I tell my dad, but dad, we are the lucky ones. We are the lucky ones. Look at us alive and breathing and having a privileged life. So. Rather than whipping yourself, if you are of privilege, first of all, be grateful and enjoy the blessing. What a beautiful gift you have received. One. And when you, like when people tell me, I'm so sad, I'm like, get over it, dude. You know, like there are much people, there are people who are like going through hell in here and, you know, snap out of it in here. And there's two reasons where people act, you know. There is a reason of, in my, my case, and people like me, the action is out of actually facing injustice and being very angry at injustice. So you want to act and you become warriors of injustice because you face it and you want to fight it, right? And you want to stop it. This is because this is for people who face it and they want to, they want to do something. There are people who act against injustice, but they haven't faced it. I respect people like that a lot because they're acting out of a great sense of moral value. Do, do you see mine is an emotional reaction. I face it, I react against it. This person is reacting not out of a white privilege with a sense of moral value and obligation, deep, deep respect for this person. And so we need to like, don't beat yourself, actually own it on the privilege. Now, few things that I would advise, if I may. Please. One is, or give as a tip, as yeah. being the other side, you know. Um, one is, a lot of times, I mean, I, first, do the personal work. It's important to do the personal work. And the personal work is be uh, in touch with your feelings, you know. As a women's rights activist, it was really irritating for me, I have to be honest, when white women of privilege uh, uh, made the discussion of women's rights about women of color, or these women in the third world, or these African women, or these Afghan women, or these Iraqi, is the other, right? Now, of course, there is discrimination against white women of privilege as well. There's harassment and rape and violence and all the same issues in this side as well. So don't hide from it. Don't say, no, 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 I'm okay in my privilege. It's this poor woman who has less financial privilege than I am, than I am that I have to take care of her, right? Yeah. For me, it's like, please don't do that. Please actually go back to yourself and own your story. And don't compare, oh, I have a small story compared to hers. Don't do that. Actually, the best way you honor her, you honor me, if I am the other, right, is to own your story and tell me your story and don't apologize for it. Like, it's so refreshing for me. I'm so excited about the Me Too movement. It's because it is white women of privilege who stood up and said, this is happening to me. And for someone like me, like, oh, finally, now that's sisterhood. That's sisterhood, where you don't make women's issues about a woman of color issues, where you make women's issues as my women's issues. I have that issue. So first, 
Go and do your inward journey and own your story. Don't minimize it. Don't exaggerate in it. Own it. Because in our sharing of the story is the first line of respect, in my opinion. I, more than money, more than anything, nothing, nothing. When you show up and you tell me that's my story, because you want to also hear my story, which is fascinating and different, yeah, that's the best respect you can give me. That's the best honoring you can give me. It's a true sharing of your story and non-judgmental way of your story, even yeah. if it has privilege. That's first. Second, so access all your emotions as well. Don't cry for me because I went through this. Cry also. Be in touch with your tears for yourself. Yeah. You know, like I moved from, and by the way, I also acted as that woman of privilege and made it all about them until I realized I need to own my story, right? Yeah. We all have that dynamics, yeah. right? And so for me, I moved from, oh, it's about them to like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> like I am, I have my story and I need to own it. And then I'm so scared of my story because there is shame and there is sorrow and there is pain and there's all of these things. So I moved from only feeling it for the other and like projecting all my feeling, the intensity on the other, you know, either hating this person or like feeling all the trauma for this person to actually feeling it in myself and understanding that story. So when I tell you I'll die a happy person, it's not that there is no sadness, tremendous sadness, but I look at it. I work on it and I say, oh, this is sadness yeah, and tremendous loneliness. And I look at it and, I, and, and live it and say, oh, this is loneliness. And then these emotions, you become, they become like books in the diction, in, in your library, basically, you know, so you know that feeling in yourself. So now when you're meeting an African woman or a woman of color in this country, a Latina woman, and she's gone through this, you're not sympathizing with her you're empathizing because you know that meaning of sadness within you because you know the meaning of loneliness within you do, do you see what i, I mean so go here go to your story on your story first acknowledge it and share it second third is acknowledge the work on these feelings inside of you because that by definition helps you connect with the other in a different and a new way of connection out of true respect, not patronizing help, yeah. right? And the third one is when you are in a privilege, honestly, the best and the biggest thing I can tell you, be grateful. It is beautiful. You are blessed. Enjoy it and act out of the moral responsibility you believe, not I'm imposing on you. You believe that you should own and give to the world. And that's, for me, we then make, not make it of a savior and victim, but we make it equal in our journey towards our freedom and our truth. Zainab Salbi, it has been so uplifting ah, to you. be with you, to feel your strong spine, the strength you. of your spine and your sword of truth, and particularly to read your book, Freedom is an Inside Job. This is so uplifting, illuminating. I read it on two different plane flights recently and felt myself rising and rising and rising way beyond the altitude of the air as I was reading the book. Thank you so much Thank for you. all the great hard work you've done oh. to help others and within yourself. Thank you. Oh, what an honor. Thank, Thank, you. You, so Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>